This episode of The New Disruptors is brought to you in part by Media Temple. Its grid service has been the web hosting choice of more designers, developers, and creative professionals than any other platform. Grib Web Hosting now comes with SSDs, which will load your sites up to 50% faster. Listeners of The New Disruptors get 25% off their first month of hosting by visiting mediatemple.net and using the code TND, like The New Disruptors. If you'd like to become a direct supporter of this podcast, visit patreon.com slash newdisruptors, where you can become a patron for as little as $1 per month. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Thanks this episode to our new patrons, Andy Bayo, Sean Wickett, and George O'Toole. Help us reach our goal of $1,000 in Patreon support per month to produce transcripts of every episode. Welcome to episode 64 of The New Disruptors, a podcast that says it can name that tune in five minutes. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, the editor and publisher of The Magazine. The Magazine is part of the Boing Boing family of podcasts. You can visit us at boingboing.net where you can find other shows you will surely enjoy, including Not Playing with my friends Lex Friedman and Dan Morin, where they watch movies they've never seen but that everyone else already has. Angela and Aubrey Weber are the musical group The Double Clicks, bringing geeky music to nerdy folk. The sisters never intended to form a band, but when Aubrey joined her sister Angela in Portland a few years ago, her cello, coupled with Angela's singing, caused enough of a stir for them to join forces and write songs about Dungeons and Dragons, the Curiosity Rover, and not dissing the geek girl. We talk about all this and their absurdly successful Kickstarter campaign that just closed. This episode is brought to you live from the fancy recording studio of the Double Clips, <laughs> Angela and Aubrey Weber. Uh, it's actually their guest bedroom, but it's where all the magic happens, yes. and uh, and we're in this room <laughs> together. Thank you for having me to a home studio. Welcome, uh, welcome. Yeah, I hope you like it. It's wonderful. It's exactly. It's everything I could imagine it to be. Yeah. This is. We're all working out of our home. I'm working out of a basement. I have a treadmill and a desk in a basement. It's nice. all very fancy. So it's good. Yeah. Uh, so you know, we're here today to talk. Uh, two days. Recording this two days after your Kickstarter is over, and mm-hmm. we can maybe start with a little bit of the excitement of that, and then we'll get into the backstory, the origin story. Yeah. So uh, you had this Kickstarter to make a an. Uh, an album and maybe some other things. How did that yeah. turn out for you? It went okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we ended up over 400% funded, um, which was amazing and very exciting. And it's over now, except it has just begun. Yeah, this is the fun part, right? <laughs> yeah. Making the extremely long to-do list involved. Yeah, but we we asked for $18,000 to make an album and five music videos, or five mini music videos. We ended up signed up for... An album, two albums really. Yeah, two albums, <laughs> uh, like twenty music videos, I think, with yep. new songs and a coloring book and all kinds of amazing stuff. It's going to be a great, great couple of years. So yeah, up. I was say, this, the, the rest of your life is now settled. You know, yeah. you'll uh, be retired and have fulfilled the Kickstarter. Exactly. But so this is exciting. So you have found, um, you knew you had fans. You knew people interested and supportive. You had yeah. true fans. And you had a wider circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you gotten a better insight into the amount of love there is out there for what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of the people, or at least some of them I know, are new into the Kickstarter just because of the way Kickstarter works now. People 
sort of see it as a way to introduce themselves. But yeah, no, there are definitely a lot more people than I was counting on that showed up and were willing to show support for us via you, the Kickstarter. So as you know, cool. you've got mailing lists, I assume, in all kinds of ways you keep in touch with people. So you yeah. have a sense of what the size of like of a, like a core fan community is who actually yeah. follow what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, we were, I mean, when we tried to figure out like what we were going to ask for for the Kickstarter, I was looking at like, I know these other bands are similar to us and they have this many like Twitter followers and this many shows and this is how much they made on Kickstarter and these fans and this is their average donation and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And just to like ballpark it, give myself an impression. Um, and it was, uh, it, it didn't turn out exactly like that, <laughs> but it was, it was a, it was a good way to prepare myself for what was happening. So when you set the budget, you were yeah. thinking there's X hundred people yeah. who we can count on. And if you get 600 people at 30 bucks each or something like that, yeah. that's great. And would you wind up with like 2,500 people or something like that? Yeah, we have almost 2,000 backers. Oh, that's great. Um, so yeah. the average pledge was higher than you expected too, conceivably, right? It was a yeah, bit it was like 43 or something like that, I think, is the average pledge. Which that's is, great. Yeah. That is above, that is above average. Yeah. Well, so that, we'll circle back to the Kickstarter, but I like to start with like, you know, this is the excitement coming off and anyone who's following you on Twitter up to the end of it. It just got to see like, it's got, you know, you get crazy. I haven't gone through it. You get crazier and crazier. You're like, Oh, I can't believe it's happening. And then yeah. the money, you know, there's wait, it's over. And then the money is actually going to come. I'm going to yeah. get a pile of cash and, and all that. But so, you know, you guys have, uh, along with, I think there's like this uh, coterie of musicians who are serious musicians who are producing, uh, interesting, relevant, fun, music, a range of stuff, but all in this sort of same space. And I know that we all look to Jonathan Colton as like maybe somebody who, pioneered the space because like it's not weird weird al is influenced i know of a lot of people as well yeah he's always been a little more on the novelty side although he can yeah. do some serious music jonathan colton seemed to bring this this nerdy thing to the front where it was like uh there was a serious intent he had depth to his songs you know and that i think artificial heart was much more like that but even yeah. his earlier music had that you guys were still in college when jonathan colton sort of blew up like how did was that part of um did that affect you deeply when you started hearing his music did it date out before that oh yeah absolutely um when i first saw jonathan colton in 2006 when he was touring with john hodgman at a, a powell's reading um and i had no idea who colton was but the audience was <laughs> yelling play code monkey and like it's like <laughs> okay we have to finish this reading for hodgman who was the guy on tour and then we will do that and um and then i rediscovered him a few months later and it was like it's amazing because his stuff is, it's, you know, it's not Weird Al. It's not comedy music all the time. It's just, it's this beautiful stuff that's like feelings and also, you know, sad robots and sad vampires. And he, you know, he, he just, he approaches it really earnestly. Um, and it's, uh, it's nice. I love it. And Aubrey, how did you find your path in here? Were you guys trading music at that point? Were we, uh, yes, I, she was... I listened to, I discovered Colton through Angela and, mm -hmm. uh, which was very exciting. Mm -hmm. I, uh, we both listened to a lot of, they might be giants in high school. Oh yeah. Yes. Um, Big fan. Yeah. like all exclusively. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we both like, I remember when we were growing up, we were, there was a kid's radio show in Boston called the playground um, and she and we would call in every week and request the same songs. Like, and I, that's just the, that, that music has always just sort of stuck with me as what I like about music is just that it's funny and it's fun. And you want to hear that song because it's like amusing and you love it and you know it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we, I mean, I wasn't 
really a songwriter. Neither of us really were before no. this band, which was after we discovered Colton and after all of that. But that was definitely the stuff that we liked when we were growing up. You grew up in the Boston area? Yeah. Yes. And we're, I know Boston has this, I, don't know, I always think of it as like a, ta- a musical town, like between the symphony's reputation and Berkeley College of Music and all the conservatories mm-hmm. that are there. Were you raised in, musical, in a musical family? I say families. These are sisters. I shouldn't yeah. worry about people. <laughs> Aubrey and Angela are sisters. Yeah. Uh, were you raised in a musical family? Yeah. Yes, we are. Both our parents are musical. Uh, our dad's super musical, super guitar dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, he teaches at Berkeley College of Music. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And which is where Aubrey also went to college. Yes. And yeah, yeah so we, we grew up playing music. I, I was given a violin when I was three, and Aubrey was playing piano from five, probably earlier. Yeah, probably um, earlier. We, we had music training from very small. Yeah, and I, so we would sing together in like church choirs and yes. uh, <laughs> voice lessons and all the things. Yeah. I remember I interviewed Marion Call not long ago, and one of the things she said is that she felt like she was raised to be a performer. That like mm-hmm. like she like reached adulthood, and my skills were all in performing. Like she'd had a liberal arts education, right. so you guys did, and whatever is that? Mm. Do your parents encourage or require, or what was the mix of of their role? I feel like we were influenced by the fact that we had a camcorder growing up. Yeah, and we were we could put on shows. I wanted to put on shows, so no one was forcing me to do it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we would like say, "All right, now you have to introduce us, and then we're gonna play our piano, or we're gonna sing a song." Yeah, for the camera, and then I get to watch myself on the camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they hook the camera up to the TV, and so most of the videos are of us dancing while watching ourselves on the TV <laughs> while the camera is going on, which is really fun. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, we were definitely grew up going to a lot of shows, so yes. it was a super natural thing for us to. There was no like this is performers and this is you you watch these things and enjoy them as a fan this is just it's all one one situation yeah we knew a lot of we had a recording studio at our house and so we my dad would bring artists in and so they were all part of our family which very cool and i was thinking berkeley i mean one of the things i I was lucky enough to attend some lectures there once i had friends who went to berkeley and, and hang out at the school a little bit and i know that they have this really incredible rigor but they the rigor is brought to a range of music it's not a snooty everything everyone had to die before 1800 if you're going to play the music but it's like but it's that whole range that influenced you that you had access to the idea that rock and pop was as important or maybe relevant as maybe classical you know 17th century music or something yeah um that's a good question um i i i gave up on classical music um when i was like 13 or something because the violin um which was what i was playing i was still doing classical aubrey got to go to college and cello and like learn improv and all of this mm, yes. like berkeley's focus seems to not really be on that no the, typically you ask a berkeley student what's your favorite kind of music and they can't tell you because they like everything oh that's great yeah i then so the answer is i like good music which is could be any style <laughs> it could just as long as it's exciting and engaging to listen to your primary instrument is the cello. Yes. And so did you study, was that something you studied formally? Was at Berkeley, did you study the cello as yes. your primary instrument? Yes. And then Angela, now I know you, well, you both play multiple instruments, right? So mm-hmm. what, what all, let's list it off because I'm always interested in this. <laughs> uh, well, my nine-year-old picked up the sax. He's taking mm-hmm. the sax to school. And then all of a sudden he returned to the recorder and he can play the recorder because the nice. fingering is so And then he sits down and he taught himself to play on the piano. And I'm like, it's okay to not have a, he's not a prodigy. But he's really, yeah. it's neat to watch that happen. I'm like, oh, I'm lo- loving watching all this come together. Yeah. But like that verse versatility i'm always interested in how many and different kinds of instruments people like to play yeah i play no instruments well 
And I always thought of myself as like a super rebel for not playing music growing mm. up once I gave up on the violin. But once I gave up on the violin, I took piano lessons and then I started doing mallet percussion. I became the drum major of my marching band. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, all of that time being like, I don't do music. Screw you, dad. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then I sort of didn't do music for a while and picked up the guitar, realized it was super easy. And so now I just sort of play fake rhythm guitar and ukulele and uh, cat keyboard. Cat keyboard. I'm looking at a cat keyboard. I'll, I'll put pictures in the show notes of yeah. the cat. Multiple cat keyboards. Yeah. Those are only some of the ones we have. This is great. Do fans throw them up on stage now to you? Yeah. And you? <laughs> they, they, we got a few as presents and then it was like, what? We, there's no reason that we need more than one of these. Please stop giving them to us. <laughs> Who was it? It wasn't, was it the B-52s? Didn't they play toy instruments when they started? I think that was part of their shtick, like the very, very early days. Yeah. They went up there and played like, like you know, kids toys and mm -hmm. so forth. But that's I was like, and that's kind of pomplamoose too. I mean, Jack Conti will bring out like anything he can use as percussion and it's fun because you recognize the sound mm -hmm. but you don't know where it came from and then you're like oh he's playing a toy piano or whatever yeah 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 it's all it's all good fun yeah, keyboard but so when you were so so obviously you yes. studied cello yes and uh and so that's a that's sort of a, a, a course of study that makes sense but you weren't studying songwriting you weren't studying i assume you had to study composition other things as part of your curriculum but yes. songwriting was not your focus you were saying before i took a couple songwriting classes but it was i didn't end up with songs mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah I lost your my, major was i lost my songwriting finder in the last day of class <laughs> uh, oh, no. it was awful uh no my major was music production and engineering which is uh, oh. just the audio side of uh, and production of albums mm -hmm. and songs. That must be very handy now. You're yes. Thinking, oh, it's absolutely the of... <laughs> only reason that our band succeeds is oh. because we don't have to hire somebody every time we want to record a song. Yeah. And we can make them. It's amazing to me. On our own schedule. Yeah. <laughs> we, we had a song earlier this year or last year. Um, where I was like, this kind of wants to be a dance beat. I don't really know how we're going to do it. And Aubrey sat down and was like, oh, I have a plug and I can just make. And then she like on from scratch made a dance beat just because like that's her training and the software we have. And it's like, oh, OK, well, then moving on, we now have infinite possibilities. That is good to know. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, that toolkit, because then you don't have to bring in session musicians for some things. You don't have to bring in, you don't have to go to the studio or hand it off. You reduce yeah. your cost. This is kind of that, um, you know, I talked to so many different kinds of, of artists and creators, but it's great how like in every realm, it's like, so, like the digital part of it, you know, you know, sure it makes it easier because you can record and edit digitally, but like that thing where you can create something from whole cloth that you need. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, yeah, we, when we're doing like a full band stuff, we, we do collaborate with other people, but with the internet ethos i guess where we're constantly trying to write and release new things and keeping people engaged to be able to just make a single on our own in this room you know is kind of an amazing thing to be able to do that's what's but i mean i know there's plenty of studios out there i've heard that studio rates have plummeted that like the yes. the cost has gone way down because people don't need as much of uh uh, they don't need the, the professional setup still has advantages, I understand, especially getting a bunch of people in and miking them all and all that in one mm. place. Ben Folds had some story about bringing the, um, who's the Klezmer group over for uh, Stephen's last night in town. And like he was recording out of his house. It was Ben Folds like 10 years ago. And like yeah. them coming in and going, like, what is this about? Like we're going to stand in your living room, but now we'll be like, <laughs> oh yeah, we're in the living room, yeah. of course. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you can achieve that level of professionalism that you want, the level of polish. Mm -hmm. So, Angela. You did not study music in college? No, I did not. What did you study in college? I studied uh, international affairs after four years of waffling on my major. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but yeah, international affairs and politics and that kind of stuff. 
I have like three fourths of the English minor also. <laughs> but so th this is where, okay, so this is the origin story part, right? So we get through the, yep. like, you know, so you have musical background, you have this depth, which is great. And that's mm -hmm. what I think a lot of people is that, you know, somebody who's an overnight success after 10 years is always the joke, right? It's right. like it took the time. But like you guys started young. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, right. It's like she came out of nowhere. Well, except if you were paying attention yeah, and yeah. not so much. Yeah. Um, you know, Steve Martin has some great stuff about how, you know, everyone's like, look, this guy came out. And he's like, no, I spent 10 years driving with the roadie around to the smallest clubs. And then mm -hmm. suddenly something ignited. But so there must have been a point, because uh, both of you were only a few years out of college. There must have been a point where you said, uh, you know, what was the impetus? If we're going to sit down and write songs, what caused that to happen? Yeah. Um, well, to set the scene, I had moved out here to Portland for college. Aubrey was still in Boston. And then right before I was going to graduate, Aubrey moved out here and she brought her cello with her. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly what happened, but she became the most popular person at open mics because people realized that if you have a cello playing with you, your stupid guitar sad breakup song sounds <laughs> amazing. It certainly sounds different than the one that came right before you. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely add the to cello is a great <laughs> nice. instrument. I want to stand up for the cello too. The cello is a great instrument. Oh, I think so it's good. underrated. The French horn and the cello, they get abuse. <laughs> the, and they're both well, wonderful. They're both the hardest technically instruments to play in the symphony. Yeah. Like, French horn is the hardest and then oh cello is yeah. the second hardest, yeah. which I like to tell myself when I feel like it's hard to play. <laughs> yes. You're very good at it. Thank you. You don't have to blow as much with the cello though. You don't have no, as much Exactly. Lungs, that's why so that's... it's not as hard as the French horn. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we had like we had been in one band together in high school called Charisma with an exclamation point. Um, Let the record note they're making karate moves. As yeah, they say. Uh, but we hadn't really. I mean, we didn't like get along super well, and we weren't like we're gonna start a band. Although we probably pretended to start bands a lot when we were kids. <laughs> now looking back, um, but basically, yeah, I had a guitar and a bad breakup, so I wrote some songs and I learned three chords and. Uh, and then, and they were hilarious. And so I dragged her to the open mics that I was going to, and uh, and they responded the same way I did. In that they, it was they were really funny songs, and it was a great uh, <laughs> a great uh, difference from the other songwriters because it was a totally different take yeah. on uh, on the songs. There wasn't, weren't as many metaphors about fall and winter and rain and <laughs> trains and trains. It was more about World of Warcraft and Dungeons and Dragons and yeah, Magic the Gathering. <laughs> yeah. Let's pause for a moment so I can tell you about Lynda.com. That's Lynda with a Y, one of this week's sponsors. And I've got a special offer for you at the end of this message. So what do you go to Lynda.com for? It's high quality and engaging video training. It's taught by industry experts and new courses are added daily. People learn in different ways. And I know that I learn best when I can see what's going on. They have over 2,000 courses already on topics that may be more familiar to you and what you might think of as Lynda.com. Things like InDesign CC training or Illustrator or Photoshop, things like that. But you know, they also focus on business skills. They can teach you about time management, search engine optimization, communication, personal branding, and they bring inspiration as well. This show, The New Disruptors, is about trying to tell you what you could do with yourself by, by exposing you to what other people have done. Linda offers documentaries that kind of go down the same path. You can see the stories of creative companies, leaders, entrepreneurs, inventors, experts, and innovators 
see how they threaded the needle, how they got to where they are and are doing what they want to do. Now, of course, you can still learn about Excel and Dreamweaver, WordPress and the like. You can learn more about how to take great pictures, how to podcast. Who needs to learn more about podcasting? Well, all of us do. How to record good audio. You get access to everything at lynda.com at the same price. It's $25 a month for those 2,000 plus courses with new courses added daily. I've worked out a special arrangement with lynda.com so you can try it out. Get a free seven-day trial by visiting lynda.com slash TND. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash TND, like the new disruptors, and you can start a seven-day trial, have access to those over 2,000 videos, and then when you find how valuable it is to you, become a subscriber. Lynda.com with a Y. And now, back to the podcast. Well, we are in Portland, which is the land of the bagpipe, flaming bagpipe playing unicycle rider who wears a Darth Vader mask. Yes. There is that. Yes. I know Portland is like that, and I love Portland. I love yeah. coming to Portland. But did you stand out? I mean, it sounds like you, what you were doing was fundamentally different than what a lot of people were doing. Did that get, yeah. did it get a positive response that you're – I mean, it sounds like you got a positive response that you were talking about things that were as geeky as Portland. Portland's a pretty geeky place. People geek yeah. out on beer. They geek out on games. They geek right. out on all kinds of stuff. Yeah. For the first long while we were playing, though, we were just doing song, singer-songwriter open mics where we were the only people doing that kind of thing. And it was – I felt like I was doing – fake songs you know everybody else was doing real songs but i was like and this is a joke and everybody likes it because it's funny but it wasn't and we did we would do like parody covers of kids songs and stuff too we do yes. like rubber ducky and and just you know for fun you were having a good time i mean it you was, went out there absolutely this thing, you guys had jobs you were yeah. working and you were mm -hmm. this is something you did for fun yes and it was very and the community was so supportive they're just they they are so like positive and welcoming the songwriting those people that were at that open mic was really a really nice place to come out of. Absolutely. So you weren't getting the please be more mournful, please be more serious, <laughs> more deadly. There was no comp competition. Nobody was telling us what to do. That is so great because so many of these situations they police, right, is that people say this is our space and we've carved this, you know, thing and then you're yeah. coming in with this different kind of thing. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, it was fun. There was actually one guy who would come to the open mics and do comedy. Like yeah. just one guy. That was the only. They wouldn't let. That they, wasn't a comedy open. No, mic. it was called like a songwriters <laughs> showcase. But he would come he, in and he was so. He would do stand up. Yeah, we'd do stand up, and everything was like one liners and puns, and they were just so funny and weird. Like the whole, it was a really fun. So they thing. let him. They let the one guy do it because yeah, yeah. he was. Because he was the favorite of the guy who ran the open mic. Yeah. <laughs> like oh, he weird. let him try it once, and then he's like, "All right, I like you." Yeah. Yeah. It was great. It was fun. <laughs> So, um, yeah. so this leads, but so this leads into so you're getting positive response in person, but you know the internet is a is a vast and terrifying mm. and cold and sometimes mean place. Yeah. Um, but people throw stuff out into the the the, the ocean of the internet to see what happens. Yeah. And and where, what was that transition? And where did you go from the live performance into the open mics into putting stuff up there and and, and seeing what stuck? Yeah. Well, we did we did make like a, a couple videos while we were doing the open mics. I think for for the a long time at the beginning, we were basically just following the model of the singer-songwriters that we saw. We didn't have a band name or anything. We were just up there playing, and we were like, oh, they do this, and then they book a show. Okay, we're going to book a show, and we'll have our friends open for us. But then in, I guess it was after I had graduated college and I was working a job, we decided that we wanted to do a song a week uh, thing, like Jonathan Colton did. Yeah. And we wanted to put it on the internet 
because as he has said in every interview he's done, you know, you have to set an, a deadline with the internet and you have to make yourself accountable so that you keep writing. Because I had written like maybe five or eight songs, but I hadn't kept writing. So it was like, we're going to do this. And we, so yeah, that's what we did. We, we, we put them on the YouTube. Well, there's also, then you get, once you start getting people following you, they're like, where's your song? It's <laughs> yeah. late. Did you put, it's, it's been eight days. What's yeah. going on? Yeah. I mean, and, and. For a while, we were basically playing into a vacuum. I mean, there, were, there wasn't anybody there, and a lot of people have done Song of the Week projects. Um, but what I think the, the lucky thing that happened to us is that I had two friends from high school and college, and I sent them an email when I started being like, we're going to start doing this, and if you wanted to make like an album art picture or something for one of the songs oh, yeah. to make it, like to sort of switch it up, we could have uh, we could put that up as the art for the for the YouTube video. For the YouTube video, instead of having our faces, whatever, because the same thing we do every week. Um, and neither of them responded um, until about two months later when our friend Brad Jonas, who is an amazing illustrator who now works for, I think, Pando Daily and a lot of oh, yeah. other people, um, he sent us a full-length animated music video for one of our songs. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah um, that he did not tell me that he wow. was making. Um, he just sent me the whole thing in a flash video form and it was our Dungeons and Dragons song. Yeah. Um and uh we're like, "Oh my, okay. Now <laughs> we have this thing and it's super legit." And uh and yeah, so we had a real video and it got yeah. picked up by uh by the nerds on the internet. It was great. There are nerds on the internet? Right? No one has told me this. Yeah, I think it got like probably like we got excited at 10,000 views maybe. Yeah. It was like, "Oh my god." Yeah. Like where cuz our videos have been getting like 200 sometimes yes. you know so it was really fun so the dungeons and dragons video i'll put a link in the show notes to, yeah. the, to the song and the video but the uh uh what's clear from from having followed you guys for a while and then talking to you is that mm -hmm. you're not panderers you know this is <laughs> this is the thing is like you're doing what you love it was fun and then it's yeah. transitioned to something that was a little more intent and serious yeah but um but why write about dungeons and dragon what's your are you like you know super gamer is this the thing um, well, th that song came from uh, absolutely 100% pure story of I was, uh, there was a guy I decided I really wanted to date, so I joined his Dungeons and Dragons campaign, um, and then I was like, this is what I write a song about now. <laughs> uh, it did not work well with him, but I met another guy in that D&D campaign, and uh, you met him downstairs. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. There we go. Uh, oh, yeah. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and. That was exactly what was at the beginning. Um, it wasn't like we're gonna be a nerd band. It was this is just the metaphors that I relate to, and also what I think is funny. So, right, and yeah. this is—I mean—that's the thing is, I everyone. I mean, people talk about it so much, but like Patton Oswalt's thing about uh, his essay in Wired. Yeah, I guess reference all the time about how sort of geek culture is pervaded, and it's also mm -hmm. become sort of watered down. Like everybody wants to sort of mm -hmm. tie in, or the Big Bang Theory is like a. Yeah. Like as if it portrayed what's going on, but it's sort of like the mainstream version. But yeah. when you have the genuine, you're bringing something from a genuine place. This is yeah. what you're interested in and, and you brought to it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said about that whole world. <laughs> it's just, it's what we like. So it's what we do. And I think that's what everybody should probably do. <laughs> well, there's an identification thing I think that happens as well is because people who are, uh, 
who have felt, I mean, that's the funny part is we're at this transition point, right? Where you're mm-hmm. not necessarily ostracized for being into World of Warcraft or D&D. Like, I mean, when I grew up, I'm mm-hmm. 45 and I did D&D when I was a kid and the like, video games, which were one bit, was one giant bit on the screen. <laughs> it went on and off and it was great. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> like, rotate sometimes if you turn your head. But the, um, it was, we weren't necessarily, I was in a university town and a university, you know, yeah. nearby high school. We weren't necessarily ostracized, but it was clear we were subculture outside. But now that culture is pushed so much more into like the mainstream set of acceptable things and jocks will play D and D and, and video yeah. games are now involved. Everybody. Mm-hmm. But so I wonder like in the past you'd say, Oh, you know, like Jonathan Colton, when he was started, some of the stuff he talked about, like even being a you know, code monkey, like that yeah. wasn't as mainstream now it is, but you found an audience who came to you or how did you find out about the people who came to you when you did the D and D song, for instance, like who were they where they were like, Oh, this is the thing that resonates with me. Yeah, no, that was, let me see that, that video. I don't remember exactly how we got it out to, Oh, I do remember. Um, <laughs> I think I, I anonymously submitted it to some blog and I was right like, on. look at that. It's Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and then it got picked up by people in Metafilter. I remember oh, discovering yeah. Metafilter, who are the most delightful and most pedantic commenters on the internet. It's true. Run by Portland Zone, Matt Howie. Yes, that's right. a wonderful guy. Um, and it's a, uh, and then and then like the actual people who make Dungeons and Dragons, like from Wizards of Coast, oh, the coast contacted yeah. us, and we were like, Oh my God, we love you. Um, but but what happened shortly after that, which was the huge, absolutely game changing situation for us, was some night at three in the morning, I realized that Paul and Storm were coming to Portland and doing a nerds and music show Yeah, with Hank Green and Mike Furman. And I was like, Hey, Mr. Paul and Storm, uh, we wrote the song about Dungeons and Dragons. If you need some girls to come sing about Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> let us know. I like <laughs> and the Mr. Paul and Storm. That's yeah. Good. I think it was Mr. Paul and Storm. Now Mr. That I think about. But I yeah. Hope so. Um, and, uh, Ed, they said yes, which they absolutely shouldn't have. And it was, uh... <laughs> but they could go see your video. This is the modern age, right? Yeah, exactly. They went and looked at it and went like, oh, ooh, okay, yeah, yeah sure. This, this isn't somebody that has 100 views. Like, yeah. this is something that happened. And so, uh... Interesting point about the credibility, right? Because they can yeah. look and, and, right, that's that's excellent, yeah. Yeah, so it... We did have a website at we, that point. we had a website. Yeah. We had, we had, at least, we had the one EP of our songs. Yeah, and uh, one of our friends from the open mic had insisted on making like a demo CD for us that we yeah. were, you know, burning by hand and stamping by yeah. hand and putting a, <laughs> a printed out label onto a yeah. little CD sleeve, and and yeah, they let us do the show, and then we all of a sudden we had an an audience of people that would come see us in Portland. It was amazing. So you started from a really like there's a, the the base is Portland and this video and then Paul and Storm coming, but. Mm-hmm. As I've come to know you, it's um, you've got a you know you now have a worldwide fan base. Yeah. And there's a there's a some distance between the two things. <laughs> like I'm always yeah. I, I'm curious about the kinds of things you do. Like um, I've been involved in the stuff in which you try to get that viral uptake. You try to get yeah. you know uh, you want a million people to do X or whatever. You know yeah. you try and then you then you want some percentage to come back again and again. How much marketing did you do of yourselves versus? the um just the natural progression of people finding you that's a good question i mean we were when we were doing this the song a week was still happening through that we did Mm. that for six months and basically my thought was you know right now we have eight songs and we have a few more that are really angry or terrible (laughs) so we're just gonna make songs and then once we've made the songs then we can worry about finding people because we both had jobs and we were super busy and but those would get gradually get picked up by people and I think 
the main whatever marketing or gaining fans was through each of those songs. Like um, the Sci-Fi Network blog picked up a song we wrote about Spock impersonators, and we wrote a song that had some Whedon reference in it or something, and so that was a big thing. And and then while that was happening, I was very careful to make a really easy to use website <laughs> yeah. um, that where everything was super accessible and you could Google us. And um, that was, I, I was actually just reading today one of the things that Jonathan Colton wrote after Mega Upload went down, which was just, you need to, you know, your fans need to like you and want to give you money and you need to have your stuff really easy to buy. Mm -hmm. And that's how you prevent piracy. And that's, you know, the, it's a good sort of. You've always talked ethos. about the one click. Yeah. 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 You know, it was like the one I want the song, so yeah. there's that link. And One click for double clicks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think we were both, or at least I was thinking about, less about actively marketing us and more about we make the things and the thing is the thing that gets people involved, but then they can easily join our mailing list or follow us on Twitter and keep up with it because that's a thing that some bands have problems with yeah. the follow through on, on once somebody has found you. I was in a band that spent like three years not having a website and everyone wanted to get in touch with this wonderful songwriter. And she kept going, well, I'm trying, somebody's working on it. And it's just, it never came through. It was amazing. Yeah. And it just held her back in so many ways and made me really sad. And that's why Double Clicks made me really happy. Because <laughs> Angela knew all about websites. Yeah, the, uh, the websites and the Twitters and the... Yeah, we had... I remember the night that my friend came over that we had decided on our band name. And my friend Carrie came over and registered the Double Clicks on every website. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's it. Well, that's the thing, yeah. too, is, like, you can search on it and find it. Yeah. And it says everything about... Don't say everything, but it says yeah. a lot about what you're doing. That that's the name you chose, and yeah. everyone. It's like, and you know, the uh, the Simpsons episode has the best thing. The uh, the the uh, bar barbershop quartet episode. There's a line in it where one of the characters says, "We need a name for the band that sounds clever the first time, and every subsequent time you hear it, it sounds less and less so." <laughs> the B sharps, the B sharps, and but so double clicks. So I'm not saying it's less clever, but if double clicks is it's got a few different levels of meaning. But it, it tells me it's like, oh, double click. Like these guys get it, mm -hmm. and if I if I didn't get it, I wouldn't get the name of the band. Yeah, it would been me. I think like, oh, okay, these guys are sort of geeky, but there's two of them, and you know, it's just it, it sort of implies a lot. It's a great mm -hmm. name, but then also. The fact that you could go and register it, that you're actually yeah. able to get domain names and things. Yeah, you can get it everywhere except Google, because Google has a product called DoubleClick. I, yeah, that was, <laughs> I was going to say, that's the one problem is a giant advertising network, yeah. but it's yeah. singular. No yeah. one's ever come after you for trademark. You're in a different realm, so yeah. that's no one's no, ever we have our, our time. We have it registered as band. Yeah, good. World is different. That's right. There is no Google does not have a band as far <laughs> as... No one's going to confuse yes. an adver, a global advertising network with a... <laughs> Recording artists either. Um, I hope so. But so the social media part, I, people, uh, I don't think anyone underestimates that now, but that clearly, obviously, is the thing. Is like you're in Portland and you you not only can sell your music, I mean, these are all obvious things. I know. Yeah. So you can sell your music worldwide, but you also have, there's so many more different ways you can reach people. Like, I don't know, do you even use is Google Plus? Some people have found incredible success with Google Plus, and if you don't do it, yeah. and that's where your fans might have been, then, you know, you lose out on the segment of the audience. Yeah, I mean, we're we're everywhere just at, at the very least to say, hi, send us an email somewhere else if you want to book us for a, a convention. Please don't only post on our Yahoo whatever page. We Google Plus now that YouTube is integrated, honestly, yeah. has made Google Plus 
essential and also really easy to use because mm -hmm. all you have to do is comment on a YouTube video and it posts to Google Plus automatically. It's Ooh. great. Oh, that makes it much easier. Yeah. yeah. Some people complain about it. There's some, there's the complaint side, but there's that part when you're actually integrated, you're doing stuff on YouTube. Yeah. You want it all to be in one place. Yeah. The, the moment when I decided that I love Google Plus and that makes other people angry for different reasons, but me as a content creator I really like, was we had a, a video up about the whole fake geek girl thing. Yeah. Uh, and it was all hate from all of these, you know, whatever, whatever yeah, <laughs> sexist subreddits, I don't even know what to call them, and all of these awful people and all these comments, but as soon as Google Plus switched over, all of the top comments were the top voted comments uh. on Google Plus. So it was like Will Wheaton being like, these are my friends, and this is a great video. And, he, and like, you know, all of the, and it was like, yay! This is so <laughs> yeah. Love it so much. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about Vimeo, which is one of this week's sponsors. I've got a special offer for you at the end of this message from Vimeo. I think it's become clear at this point in time that video is a really compelling medium. Video is hard to produce, but if you can master it, you can get people to beat a path to your doorstep. We've seen how videos go viral and how they can promote businesses, how effective they are as a way of introducing people to a greater dimension than just text or even audio, as much as I like podcasts, can do. Once you've created video, the problem is where do you host it in a way that you think matches your vision, that lets you customize and lets you present it in a way that you think is as professional as you are? Well, this is where you go to Vimeo. That's V-I-M, like Mary, E-O. They offer professional services, Vimeo Plus and Vimeo Pro. You get up to 20 gigabytes of storage space every week. So if you're producing a lot of video on a regular basis, you don't run up against limits. If you want to get the videos up quickly, both of these services give you priority conversion. It puts your videos online fast. And best of all, Vimeo does not slap ads on top of or before your videos. They think it's gross. They don't want to do it. That's what they say. They don't want these ads. They want you to control your video and the experience that you deliver to people watching it. So here's the deal. You can get 10% off on a Vimeo Plus or a Vimeo Pro membership if you enter the code in all uppercase letters DISRUPT, not disruptors, but DISRUPT when you check out at Vimeo.com. This offer expires on April 30th and memberships will renew at full price, but you can get your 10% discount today by signing up for Vimeo Plus or Vimeo Pro with the code DISRUPT in all uppercase Vimeo is the place you go for Vimeo Plus, Vimeo Pro, to upload your video and give it a professional home. And now, back to the podcast. There's that um, <clears throat> amplifying effect, too, is that, like, there are geeks like Felicia Day and Will Wheaton who have mm -hmm. enormous followings in social media, and mm -hmm. the followings in social media have brought them back into the attention of mainstream media, that, like, they became, you know, not that Will, I mean, Will's career is more well-known. Yeah. Felicia was always, you know, she was a sporting actress. Mm -hmm. She was working actress. But then the internet turned her into everyone's, like, favorite yeah. oh, yeah. geek actress. She's like, and she's one of us, right? And she's pro she's proven it in the way that, I mean, yeah. maybe men don't have to prove as much. Yeah. But it's still, it's like, she's, you know, she's a serious gamer and she developed this whole network. Yeah. And, but then you get that. The secondary effect, which I think you guys are beneficiaries of, is that the fact that Will Wheaton likes your work. Yeah. And he has X million people. And I know that he doesn't post to Twitter and then you get, oh, five million people just bought an album because Will Wheaton referenced it. Yeah. But, but I mean, I know you don't try to cultivate that kind of thing, but it yeah. still seems like having people with those giant networks who then mm -hmm. point to you and say, 
we like these guys. That must have some positive and ongoing effect. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's a lot of like comments and emails we get are like, we discovered you through Paul and Storm or like, you know, whatever, Molly Lewis mentioned you and now we know who you are. Um, and, and just when we were announced as performers on the Jonathan Colton cruise, mm -hmm. before that cruise happened, we had a country's worth of house shows just from that having been happening happened like being associated with it oh, like the announcement happened and yeah. you just got booked everywhere yeah yeah it was just like that's this is the tour's done good work everybody yeah. um and, and it's it's definitely important and it's it's like a weird social thing where i'm not gonna like email and be like this is happening please yeah. tweet about us because you said you liked us that one time remember but it's it's definitely like this this nerd community has created a bunch of people who like each other's work and are willing to support it, and it's rad. It's pretty lovely. Well, there's so many musicians yeah. now, and you guys seem to build each other up. You don't tear each other down. Yeah. You know, the, it's the, the rising tide is rising everybody's boat. And it's like, I found you guys because everybody, oh, well, that's right. You know, I came up to you guys at PAX and was yeah. like, I haven't heard your music yet, but everybody I know is like, yeah. you have to hear the double clicks. You're going to love them because you reach some kind of thresholding in my entire, I mean, literally, it was like, like 15 different people, a bunch went to the show you did in Seattle in, I don't know, it was June or May or something of 2013, yeah. and then everyone is just quelling about you. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll come. Hey, hi, nice to meet you, and yeah. I'm going to buy a CD, and this is great. And then you got me sucked in because I already like, you know, John and Colton, and they might be giants, and Marion Call, and, yeah. and uh, you know, Molly Lewis, listen to Molly Lewis and stuff, like all these people in the genre. Now, you're part of my musical taste. So it's not like I was like, okay, now I can't listen to Jonathan Colton anymore. Right. That's too expensive. Now I can only listen to these guys. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great community and it's the only music community I've ever known, um, which is all of our fans are super tech savvy and all of the people are really nice and we all just need more people to play and tour with. So we are just like looking for new other bands to play with. But I, I'm really glad that it's not a competitive kind of kind of world like that. Well, so here's a question about the creative side of things. We talk so much about the mechanics of it. Yeah. I know our <laughs> show is a lot about the mechanics too. But you have to come. And we were talking earlier on about there's like a competency that you need. You have to reach a point where you can, you know, where you, like that's almost an assumed thing. It's and I think some people sometimes are like, how do people get to this point in their career? And I'm like, because that, you know, the the overnight success after 10 years, you guys put in 10, 20 years of your lives and as, as learning to perform and doing these things yeah. and then things click. But I was thinking about from the songwriting standpoint, we haven't talked about that at all so much. Now, do you, is it, is it all Angela? Do you guys collaborate now? How does that work out? The balance? Uh, we both, we both write the mm -hmm. songs. A lot of them are, um, <laughs> the best ones are Aubrey's idea. She says, we should write a song about this. And I said, that is a stupid idea. That will never work. And then two days later, I will write the song, and then we will uh, we will record it together. Well, how about your song about curiosity? I, I have a soft spot. I do so many geeks. I don't know why curiosity captured all oh, God, of our attention. Yeah. I've met I've met its uh, sibling down in JPL, which I think yes. you guys have too, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, it's yeah, funny. Yeah. It's like that's like a mecca now. It's like yeah. you yeah. go and meet to the other curiosity. <laughs> yeah. There's something about it captured a lot of people's attention. You wrote a song that's it's very sweet about it. But what was mm -hmm. the genesis of getting to a song about? About a you know a big old yeah. SUV robot. What are the two things? Song Fu, and you were already gonna write a song about mm. yeah. imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, that was basically oh. it. it. Was the feelings that we were having, and we still have, and I'm sure you've heard Max talk about a lot. With imposter the, syndrome. Imposter syndrome. That's the theme of the show. Yeah. The duck comes down from the ceiling. Now, so um, you said the magic which word. is which is just 
the only that that's what that song is about. It's yeah. called Imposter, but it's it's um yeah, and I I don't remember if uh Song Fu was the reason. Like I feel like we had the idea for that song before they What is that a contest? It's because we had seen it land on Mars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we Not watched it that it, night. It we was, yeah, we were on Mars. <laughs> yeah, Mars. Um, but we were we were doing a project in 2012 where we were given celebrity songwriting prompts all year and that was one that was the one where you had to write the the prompt was to write a song about a robot. Oh, and yeah. so it was like, all right, well, this fits into our assignment. Yeah. We work very well with deadlines. So that was a great thing for us to do. And that was actually really fun. There was like the, whatever, the celebrity one. And then there was a shadow song foo where a bunch of other people were also writing songs to the same prompt, which was cool. Yeah, and so then that, that song was born. Yeah. should talk about just a, like a little sidebar, the yeah. prompt thing. I think some people who are sort of from the creative writing world know more yeah. about that. Yeah. Maybe, but like for, for the benefit of listeners. So yeah. prompt, it's a, what is it? It's a tool to get you to just produce something. Absolutely. Yeah. Song Fu has been a thing that happened uh, several years before we were even involved, but, um, and it was created for the community to make things. And it's on a website called, a site called Fred run by Ken Plume. Mm. Oh, um, Ken Plume. I've yeah, seen yeah. his, I've seen his top hat. Yes. The top hat he bought in London. Um, but, uh, for a while, the masters of Song Fu, the, the celebrities, uh, were Jonathan Colton and Paul and Storm, and they had prompts like, for example, they had to write a song in the style of their competitor, which is oh, where awesome. Paul and Storm's song Live comes from, which is about a fra- falling in love with Frankenstein, which is a Jonathan Colton song, <laughs> and, and a beautiful song also. It is lovely. <laughs> yeah. But the prompts we got, we, were, we got amazing stuff, amazing prompts. We had to write Bill Corbett from Riff Tracks said we had to write an upbeat, danceable tune about a battle. Of some kind. Awesome. These are all like you're listing off like favorite people on the oh, internet. Well, the so prompts neat. were amazing. Like I think Neil Gaiman gave us a prompt. Yes. Amanda Palmer gave us a prompt. Uh, Marion was involved in that. John Hodgman. Hodgman. Yeah. What was Hodgman's? Uh, bioluminescence. Oh, bioluminescence. Oh, beautiful. Right? Yeah. You wrote about jellyfish, the ocean. We wrote about <laughs> uh, a girl who gets um, green. Forest. Jellyfish is too obvious. That's yeah, true. It's really. Uh, we wrote about a girl who had who has. Green fluorescent protein spliced into her DNA by her parents. These guys are awesome. Um, and so great. only her eyes and mouth glow. Um, and mucus membranes. Mucus membranes. Oh, and she man. blames her problems in love on her mutation, mutation and not on her emotional problems. It, it, it takes a lot of explaining, but I really like that song. <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Way I Glow. Yeah. So in yeah. the Curiosity song, so I'm sorry, it's called Imposter, and yeah. it's, so it's about that. It's, um, I mean, it's a really, it's funny, but it's also incredibly sweet, and yeah. you can read it at, you know, there's a literal level to it, yeah. there's a figurative level, and you guys perform that at uh, XOXO, so I can link to people watching perform after Max yeah, yeah, Temkin yeah. of Cards Against Humanity's talk. Yeah. You know, sort of neat timing, right? Because Max, you know, Max has been a guest on the show. We all love Max, and Max is so great at what he does and yet like so many of us who has that yes. like am i am i really able to do this like yes yes you yeah. are but still you've done it you've you done did it. it that's right and you keep doing it over and over again yeah it's the iteration it's the ability to go back it's like you didn't do this once i mean how many songs have you written now have you lost track of the number do you keep over it 50 mm-hmm. by far at this point <laughs> 50 was a while how ago how many will you admit to that you oh god thing? well most of them are on youtube even the really bad ones that's right so. it's true uh, yeah Song a week. The internet is forever. 
That's right. <laughs> but, is forever. but this is the thing. This becomes au courant, right? As you have curiosity is in the news and everybody in the world. I mean, literally, that became, you know, it was worldwide news. Mm. That was during the, if you remember, the Summer Olympics, which were so terrible. And the mm. NBC was so terrible. In the middle of it, it was like, oh, we're landing an SUV <laughs> on Mars. Yay! And I was like, this is so much better than the Olympics. Like, oh, this yeah. is where the money should go. You know, forget that. Absolutely. But people were sort of cheering it on, and 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 the time. I don't know. So you write the song not that long after that. Then that was yeah, that not year. super long after. I mean, it didn't get a whole lot of traction. That particular song, in terms of like the viral, like current, blah, awesome. I I mean, I don't even know if we released it. I guess we did. We put it on the YouTube's, but it it is is mostly been sort of a a fan favorite of people like Max um, because of the the message. But yeah, I mean, that was the thing. We were watching it land on Mars and you have to write a headline. My background is journalism and you know, you have to write the headline. Like, this thing is really super qualified to find life on Mars. And it's like, it's not going to do that. <laughs> it's going to do a lot of really cool stuff, but your expectations are really high. It's going to leave the letters JPL <laughs> yeah. in, Morse in Morse code all, all over, over Mars. That's what yeah, it's exactly. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. But so well, all right. So we've get we get to this point where mm-hmm. you're now producing songs. You have a milieu. You have people yeah. who know who you are. The people who are in this community who are uh, who are uh, better known and have you know a national standing and huge followers and so forth. And they're saying, hey, you know, this is great. Like we this double clicks and um, where do you go from? So so Angela, we were talking about this before we recorded mm-hmm. the podcast. Is is you quit your day job mm-hmm. over well over a year ago now? Yeah, and, and it's so twelve. Yes, I'm sorry, the end of 2012. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, so that's quite a while. So you obviously hit a point. I love to talk about the transition in a career between this being something that you guys squeezed in, but yeah. then would suddenly be like, oh, how do you know, where do you find the time to do it? Mm-hmm. To something that then, and we'll, well, this is the this is the foreshadowing of, of Aubrey's move as well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. is mm-hmm. the, you know, so 14, 15 months into this, uh, wh- how did you develop the career further? Like, how did you make this into something that became a bigger <clears throat> part of what you did to make a living? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Yeah, when I quit my day job, I was all about going to be a freelance journalist. And I was like, I want to do this cool stuff instead of the whatever the man is making me do in newspapers and so on. But it was really, it just I didn't have time to do the band and a full-time job. And we just, we couldn't tour. And it wasn't like starting a band that made albums and toured was not what we were trying to do when we started. We were just, this is what we were doing. But then when we met all of these people, like Marion took us on our first shows out of town, Marion Call. She took us to Seattle and Bend, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh. It was you, amazing. You could just play a show for people. Yeah. This is great. Seattle was fantastic. Were yeah, these all no. house concerts or were these a mix uh, of things? Uh, Seattle was a big show. Um, it was, I mean, it was at a venue that she had rented because Seattle is her her home Yeah, town. she knows it well. But it was, yeah, and then we did a house concert in Bend, and it was, it was, it was just like, these people do this, and they are all supporting us, and we can do these shows, and then we have all these people who are like, come play in my town, so we're like, okay. That was basically what happened, was we figured out how to tour, and how to do conventions, and how to, we made another album, so we could, you know, have figure out what the economics of being in a band was and all so you're that. The, you're the EP, and then you made a full album to release. Yeah, we made Chain Melancholo was in twenty. It's a great name. Twelve. <laughs> it must have been yeah. Yeah, no, it was released in July. Yeah, of twenty twelve. Cool. Gosh. Time goes by. Trying to think of what has happened in my life, um, and then 
We were just working constantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you have full well, and then you full time job, but then you transition out of the full time job, yeah. and you're still working all the time, right? Like yeah. that's the thing is the job went away, but you don't. You still had more than a full time amount of work to do to manage what you're trying to do at that point. Absolutely. It had to been April that it came out. Sorry, doesn't matter. Yeah, anyway. April. And yeah. then, um, so does that mean like right after I quit my job, we went to we went on the uh, cruise? Yeah, and then oh, we made amazing. another album. And then we made another album. You guys aren't busy at all. That's the. Uh... Yeah, we, we, I, we're this not all, ambitious. This seems, like never wants to like do it anything. Just happened. It seems yeah, like yeah. I quit my job forty years ago. Yeah. But the cruise, hap- which happened technically two months after that, feels like it was yesterday. So yeah. it was like. The compression all... of time, but it's then you're working. You're working continuously. There's never a break. And uh, the bad side yeah. is, you know, you know, vacation or time off because yeah. you're running a career. The economics of house concerts. Uh, yeah. I want to, you know, spend twenty minutes on it. But, yeah. but there's clearly, you know, I know uh, I've met more and more musicians who who do this, and some of them are. I know there's some very well known musicians who want to say like. I'm not sure. Like I know, there's it's tr- it's difficult to find the right size venue. It sounds like there's people yeah. who fill, you know, uh, coliseums. I know, but then like as you scale down, I, Jai Conti talked to XOXO that like mm. he and and Natalie who were had this enormous following. They don't make money on tour. I don't know if you talked yeah. about it. Maybe it's the interview that I did with him. But like they basically did not make money on tour because they can't fill like a five thousand seat place, but they could do a five hundred. But yeah. when you're figuring all the cost, all the people, and whatever, it's like yeah. they did it to promote, you know, the music that they're selling directly, which is usually not the model. It's the you do the tours or whatever. Yeah. So where do house concerts and the kind of venues that you're playing fit in economically? To, like, are you are they actually for making money, or is it to cultivate a fan base, or or yeah. both? Um, the the way we tour is basically the very first tour we went on. I said we went on with Marion mm-hmm. Call, who is like the smartest person in the world. And and basically, what we, the way that she she tours the absolute lowest cost way possible, so yeah. that that is how she makes her money. And so when we started touring, the idea of playing at a venue that takes a cut of our money or charges us to play there, it was just like, no, we're not going to do that. Which is the way that bands have been touring forever. So we we play at we also don't have a tour manager. Yeah, we or also a booker, a booker, or anybody. Yeah. So we we just we go we play at. A house concert or a game store. Mm-hmm. We ask for donations and we sell CDs, and so it's all your cost is zero. Yeah, our cost is basically nothing. There. And you often stay with people. Do you do the house stay? I know Mary yeah. just quite a bit of that house stay. So you do a house concert. You staying with your host or something yeah. related? Yeah, yeah. We did one concert or one tour where we had we were touring with Molly Lewis, who was awesome, and we had a tour manager along, which was great. And then it was like. No money. We didn't, you yeah. know, because it's just that's the that's a huge difference. And, yeah. and like we rented a car and we stayed in hotels two times a week, and that's like totally a reasonable way to tour. But when it's the way that you make money, it's yeah. n- it doesn't make any sense. You have We're, to be at a higher. You have to be at a bigger scale, yes. and then you have to devote yourself. And you have to have all these professionals and devote yourself yeah. and cultivate your career in a way that doesn't sound like it's like it's um, consonant with what you want to do with your career. Yeah, yeah, and and we really we love the sort of there's a lot of we we really want to play all ages shows, which is really hard to do if you're doing super small venues, and we want to you know have the interaction and have people singing along, and we want to be at a place that where everyone there is there for our show and not like we just came here to drink or we came here to you know it's a coffee house or we something. We don't like. love bars. <laughs> yeah, um, so so it's. Uh, Fortunately, there's usually a couple game stores in every city, so yeah. it works out. 
That's not, I would say it's not new, but it's like I think the popularity of them is the idea that someone would come and perform in a game store. Yeah. As opposed to, I don't know, like, you know, it's a Magic the Gathering opening or something yeah. like that. It's like... Uh, Can't play on Friday night. Yeah. Can't play on Friday night. Exactly. Yeah, yeah we, we are the band that has a night <laughs> off on Friday night on tour because Magic show, <laughs> Magic tournaments. Not yeah. going to happen. That's great. Yeah. No, but it's... I mean, we have a great easy sales pitch for it, which is like, we have songs about John to the Dragons and Magic the Gathering. Yeah. We know you have a game room that you can turn the chairs around yeah. and have us set up our own PA. I mean, that's the other huge advantage of Aubrey is that we have a PA, mm-hmm. we know how to run our own sound, we can just go in, just give us a single outlet is our writer, and we will... <laughs> single outlet, and don't let anybody be playing Dungeons & Dragons in the same room while we're playing, and then... And the store is much like this. You're bringing people in who otherwise might not come in that day, and so they're going to buy merchandise, they're going to buy your stuff, but they're also going to buy yeah. other things in the store. I mean, that's the thing. Like, my kids got into uh, Pokemon and Magic, and, like... Now I told I was I was too old for Pokemon. Yeah, way too old. Well, I shouldn't say no one's too old for Pokemon or Magic. It turns out, and yeah, by the people true. go to the store. But uh, I wasn't into that hold the card thing, and like, mm. and I'm like, oh my god, I had no idea the churn and what oh, year yeah. of the card. And so they need to get people in, and yeah. you're part of the draw to get people. Okay, come in. Oh, and they buy some booster packs, and the booster packs they make eighty percent more, you know, yeah, margins on and what have you. Yeah, yeah. So they like you. Yeah, hopefully it's people who haven't been to the store before. Yeah, that's what we're, we try to get in. Oh, that's great. So you get new people who know you, don't know the store. And yeah. It's neat. So, all right, so we come to the present day, and uh, and this has all been building, and you've built an audience, and you have fans, you have newsletters, you've got all the social media. Yeah. And uh, something must have said to you, some person <laughs> or thing said, it is time to go to the crowdfunding model, because we yeah. want to do our next mm-hmm. big evolution is it just a natural thing you got to this point or was there something where you just said this we got to do this because we're we're we need to make a bump upwards it can't just be a, a yeah. whatever curve or, or level it's on yeah i mean it was we you know people have been saying to us not people in the industry but you know people who watch us like why don't you do a Kickstarter? It seems like a big bucket of free money. Um, and it's, it, it's, I think you do that voice in every show. You're yeah. very popular. It's true, though. No, it's right. Well, I mean, that's what a lot of people see it as. It's just like, how does this? It's just magic, and there's money. And <laughs> and we've done other albums since Kickstarter was created and stuff, but we just never needed money. Like, there wasn't a project that we wanted to do where we needed somebody else to give us $10,000 to do it. We've been able to pay for everything by our previous income and like our first two albums we paid for the actual production cost of it by doing like a little mini fake kickstarter pre-sale of like you can buy the album for ten dollars or if you give us fifty dollars you'll get these like this exclusive pack which is just a kickstarter model of Mm. you know you also get dice and we'll sign it and we'll make a poster and we'll draw you a picture or whatever but we didn't need it until this year we were basically like we we made a bunch of videos last year. We did a, another song a week thing, which was really fun, and it was a lot of work. And we didn't, it didn't pay anything at yeah. all. Development, but not <laughs> yeah revenue exactly. And it, yeah, it was it was great, and it seemed to be like this. People want us to be doing this, but yeah, we can't really just <laughs> do it because it takes time. It, it takes time. Um, and and so yeah, we were like, well, we want to do this we want to see how much we can get aubrey off of that place she has to take vacation days from whenever Mm -hmm. we tour and uh we want to pay like pay somebody to produce our album we want to get stuff happening so we were you're not stripping your own ability your own time right but you need but you aubrey you're working you have a 
the income from it. This is yeah. stuff you're doing vacation days, evenings, right. weekends. Yes. Both your lives are totally full of this. Yeah. But you're the revenue. You're sort of at the point where you're like, we need to make, we need to get a bit more money yeah. so that we can get off this train and get on a different train. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, the, the goal of the Kickstarter when we started it was genuinely, we want to make this album and we want to make videos and we want to be able to spend time doing that instead of other things that make more money that aren't don't involve us creating new things for the public like yeah. commissions and a bunch of touring t- touring in the least expensive way possible which is a very time consuming <laughs> way to tour so yeah we set it up and it it exploded like it it got all of this huge checklist of projects that we have really wanted to do but we knew we weren't going to be able to do while Aubrey had a job while we weren't making enough money to do this without picking up other side work, and uh, it was awesome. Well, it was great because the you weren't even you didn't even have your stretch goals posted after you blew through the goal. I mean, I'm watching it, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm both you know having gone through it myself and a veteran Kickstarter watcher. Right. I'm watching. I'm like, this is gonna be. I mean, you know, you know, no one wants to hear that when you start. You want to say, you know, if you'd asked me beforehand, or I'm sure other people said, the, yeah. or you asked other people, no one wants to hear. Oh, it's gonna be easy. Don't worry, you can hit 18 grand. It's fine. Yeah. You probably blow past it because you're like, no, I don't want to hear that. I want to. Yeah. I need to have that goal and feel like that's the thing I have to work towards because if I aim too high, you know. And you set a very reasonable goal, eighteen thousand dollars. I think with the level of fans you had, you talked about at yeah. the start of the podcast about kind of how you were trying to come up with it. Yeah. But that was like, was that within a few hours? I forgot. Yeah, it was within four hours, yeah. which yeah. we were not expecting yeah. at all. Like I had pent up love in the form of money. Yeah. That is what Kickstarter is. <laughs> what our our we were gonna ask for less, and I had talked to some friends, and that's one of those like having none of them live in Portland, but having this group of peers in the comedy music mm. or nerd comedy and nerd music world is super helpful. Like I, I sat down and talked to them. I was like, no, you can ask for more money than that. It's going to be okay. <laughs> this'll, you know, this'll work out. You have more fans than you think you do. And it, and it came down to like, this is the bare minimum of what we need to do the things we want to do. So yeah, that was crazy. And then it just, disappeared that goal and became a whole new <laughs> whole kept, new wheelhouse kept rolling them out and you kept knocking them down which yeah. was great and like so the fifty thousand dollar one was aubrey you gotta quit your job and yeah you notice and and so when's your last day is coming up as we record this yeah. yes it's in two weeks two That's weeks exciting. but you gotta go on a cruise first not too bad a cruise and then you come back finish your workout <laughs> yeah when stares and says oh my god she's leaving she got out of this place yeah uh, but the but the fifty thousand dollars. I mean, the goal was. I realized, you know, it, it's the you just bought your time back. You bought your time that you can give to it yes. instead of having to hire it out for other people or or dole it out. We were we were talking before the podcast about that. You don't have to come to Angela's house now on evenings and weekends. Mm-hmm. You actually come during the daytime yes. and work. I get to play Dungeons and Dragons again. I'm very excited. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, Angela's yeah. had to sacrifice her weekends for song a weeks and touring yeah. and all the stuff. Must be now. Now you're just be doing all your fulfillment. But no. So we should talk about it too. You, but you went into this. Now you've talked to so many people who did Kickstarters clearly and planned it. So yeah. what's what's your crazy one that you didn't expect you're going to get that many people to sign up for? Now you're dreading having to fulfill, even though you want to fulfill it. Uh, that's a great question. Um, honestly, our biggest problem right now is going to be dice. Dice. Um, because the people who make them are a pretty small company. Ah. Um, and. I think it might just be one guy. Did you sell out of the dice reward too, or no? Well, Which it was wasn't the... limited. Oh, so, okay. Because uh, right. there was a dice have. bag was limited. You had so, yeah, some we had, that we were had limited. Some dice bags that were limited, yeah. and we had um, 
yeah, we actually just had a bunch of crafters email us like shortly after our Kickstarter started being like, uh, I made these hats. They're right next to you. It's like, this hat has a dinosaur on it. Uh, do you want some? I'll make 10 of them for you. And, oh, like, man. and then like, I made a plush toy that looks like a Dimetrodon. Do you want these? I can, you know, um, she's amazing. Yeah. And she's amazing. Um, and, and, but yeah, no, we, we got just because I was, uh, my high estimate was 500 backers. <laughs> I was like, I ordered the dice um, because I know they take a long time, but we're gonna we're gonna need twice as many dice as we were thinking. That's gonna be the problem is dealing with manufacturing of that stuff. That will that will go out over time. Yeah. Maybe they hire. They have to hope they estimate. Like, my God, the demand for dice has increased so much. We should bring on. <laughs> Wait, what happened? It yeah. Lasted. Yeah. No. Um. But that's that's exciting stuff. That's yeah, an we, exciting we, problem there. You don't have yeah. to manufacture 75 ukuleles. No. You don't have to hand yeah, paint things. We, right? we were very careful, and our friends all warned us, like, try to keep most of your stuff digital. Um, try to, you know, make sure that you factor in shipping costs and make sure that you, you know. International shipping costs. International this is such shipping. a bear. I put in enough money, just barely. I thought I, I thought I was, might be overcharging people, mm-hmm. and I would do something nice for them if it came in less. Like, no, I need every dollar yeah. to pay that international shipping. Yeah, yeah. I, I sent, like, a help me email out to a few people, <laughs> um, and everybody sent back, like, this really long, like, don't make these. And, yeah. Yeah, I sent you some unsolicited mail. I'm like, Angela, <laughs> I have some things you should know about before you. Yeah. you you need to know this. You can't edit the Kickstarter page after it's over. Oh, I know. That's the thing. Right. You can't. Once the Kickstarter's over, yeah. I think I knew that, and I forgot in the rush of the moment, and then I'm like, then it's locked forever, and I didn't yeah. put in a URL, like, come here and do your pre-orders after the Kickstarter's over. It's not at the top. It's buried a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's crazy. But yeah, no, that was the, the biggest thing that Paul from Paul and Storm was like, take your stuff. Go to the post office. Yeah. Weigh it. Figure yeah. out how much it's going to cost to send that to New Zealand. And yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think the biggest, the crazy thing to me is that basically we have enough work to last us two years now. We, I mean, we have, we have budgeted out and planned for, we have an album this year. We're going to make tons of videos and more songs. And then we are going to make an an EP. We have an EP planned for 2015. Well, I was going to say, because you did this interesting thing, because a lot of people will front load, and I think this is the result of having talked to so many people, Mm. a lot of people front load all the rewards, so everything is due within like a six-month period. Mm. And even though it's uh, uh, two years' work or something, but you said, all right, you know, we're going to do this, but now the EP will come at this future point, but it's part of the campaign. So people are actually investing even beyond 2014 or beyond 12 months with you. Yeah, no, there's um there's a girl named Abby Howard in um in Seattle. She was on the Penny Arcade reality show Strip Search. Yeah. And when she made her yeah. Kickstarter and it's just you know, Kickstarter has to fund a creative project, right? Mm-hmm. But your stretch goals are not an official Kickstarter thing, so they can be whatever you want. Exactly. And and she has an amazing personality and such charisma and great thing. Like her Kickstarter goals included moving to Seattle mm-hmm. and getting a tattoo and like all of this <laughs> And 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 awesome. when I was watching you her do made that one, why did yeah, well, it was a very shaving specific, my head, yeah, no, exactly. But it, yeah. you know, it made me realize like you don't get anything out of you as an individual backer, Aubrey quitting her job, right? right. But that is an amazing thing for us yes. that will you know, and and then this is it's going to benefit their music. It's going to benefit <laughs> you, and like we're gonna make these videos that we're gonna give away for free on YouTube. Yeah. But you are supporting our ability to make the things we want to do. And, like, they'll get downloads of all the songs and all of that and all of the stuff we do over the next few years. But it's, like, 
they're supporting us more than they're getting something out of it. I feel like there's this line. It's not precise, but like yeah. 25 to $35 level, like below that, it's mostly pre-order. And some mm-hmm. of it's goodwill and like morale and so forth. Like the people give a buck for mm-hmm. something. I had several people give like a dollar. Someone gave like 13 bucks. And I was like, mm-hmm. what can I do for you? They're like nothing. I just wanted to give you something and that's what I could give them. Yeah. So awesome. But then, so then, then when you go up, <laughs> then you go up the ladder, you go above like 25. Because 25 is like I'm buying a thing or whatever. And then yeah. 35, then it's like 75 is like, no, I want you to do something for me. And then like 200 is I had uh, I had dinner this or a drink this evening with Chris Higgins, one of mm-hmm. the writers of the magazine, regular writer. And he uh, he's commissioned a song, I think a cover. Yeah. And he came at that level because he's like, this sounds great and my wife will love it and it's <laughs> terrific. So that's, you know, that's the, I want an intangible thing that will benefit you guys because the cost of the intangible thing is above the production value or cost of it. It's, yeah. it's a matter of labor and time for you folks, but it's people want to support you intangibly to make your career prosper too. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's fun stuff. It's great. Very excited to make everything involved. Except, yes. Well, except the cover of Freebird, which I'm still not very <laughs> excited about. But, you know, when the members but, of Leonard Skinner get to hear it, then. Oh, God. Everything in my life is so weird. Things are weird. Uh, yeah, but no, that was that was one of the, like, we, uh, Storm from Pollen Storm told me we were going to hit 75 when we were yeah. at, like, 40. And I was like, that was, is ridiculous. I was pretty confident you were going to be between 60 and 70 was my guess and then you got hit you crossed yeah. 80 and I was like when yeah. you cross 70 like it suddenly happened it was like the last hours right and then it just went yeah. up again it was it's so great crazy um but it was like okay well we need to have stretch goals up there yeah. um and then I was uh yeah I was talking to my boyfriend and I was like well I this is what everybody every third comment on the wall has been <laughs> How much do we have to pay you to cover Freebird? <laughs> like, uh, you okay. put a number on it. I, uh, give us this much money and we'll do it. So that's yeah. great. Well, that's, that made me up my bid. You know, it's like I think I'd given twenty five, and then I was like, wait a minute, I'm going. What's the seventy seventy five? We're gonna get him over eighty thousand yeah. dollars. I saw it go up. I was like, yes. Yeah. No, that was, that was amazing. That was... Special torture. Yeah. No, it was funny. It's like to an extent we want to celebrate you and let you do the things you want to do, but. This seems like something that will torture you. So Dance I want to up please. my bid. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you've got the next two years plotted out. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and the new life begins. You got to go to you got to go see go to, go to sea first on a cruise. Yeah. Come back and then you start it all. But it seems like you've yeah. got everything well in hand. You've got a plan. Yeah, we do. We have a lot of stuff. I mean, the album is well on its way to completion, which is absolutely necessary at this point for the timeline that we've set. Um. But yeah, I'm really excited about everything we get to do. It's going to be our busiest year yet. I think I'm probably going to hire people to help me with things exciting. that I've never had people help me with before, which is really exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, good stuff. Thanks, Kickstarter. Kickstarter is the best. Yeah, it's the best when it, you know this is this is the nice part is you're at that now you've got the uh, money will start disgorging in a few weeks. So yeah, pour into your bank account, you get yeah. the cash right away, and then you get to enjoy. Uh, talking to an accountant and spending it. That's yeah. good. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me to your home and to your studio <laughs> yeah, to talk. So thanks, for, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having us. You can now support the production of this podcast directly at patreon.com slash newdisruptors. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash newdisruptors. Support us at a level that starts at $1 per month. At higher levels, you can get our thanks on the air, t-shirts, and more. You can also sponsor this show. Visit podlexing.com, P-O-D-L-E-X-I-N-G, for more details about how to get your product or service in front of the attractive and clever listeners of The New Disruptors. 
Our theme music is by Jeff Tolbert, who you'll find at jefftolbert.com. And our audio engineer is Michael Warner. Our podcast audio is hosted by SoundCloud. We're part of the Boing Boing family of podcasts. We're also a production of The Magazine, an electronic periodical for curious people with a technical bent. Find out more and read free articles at the-magazine.org. This podcast is licensed under the Creative Commons by NCND 3.0 license. Feel free to distribute it intact and with attribution to us by linking back to our site. We only ask you don't offer it for sale. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman. Please join us again next time. Thanks for listening.